0: Are back after a week away, and you have Dawson taking on green in the main event. We got a lot to talk about. You're gonna to want to keep it locked in with fighting apex. We always say, Let's, Let's get, get into in, it. And just like that, autumn is in the air, pumpkin spice is here to stay, and we have something nice it's poster fights coming at us from the apex this weekend. As always, one half of your hosting duo, X. And Instagram at Craig Allen FNP with me to my left, to your right at Matt Allen FNP on the respective socials. And I can't stress that enough. You get a week away, you get to recharge. Maybe you watch the Canelo Charlo fight. Maybe you had a chance to get back to your roots and watch a little bit of football. But when it does come down to it, Matt, we have a very interesting card from the UFC's Apex. It's Grant Dawson in his first ever main event. He's had 22 pro fights. And now he finally gets a chance at a five-rounder. He's going to be taking on Bobby Green. And Green's one and only main event in the UFC. It was back in February 2022. A nine-day short notice call against your now lightweight champ, Islam Makachev. So a big opportunity for both of these guys. When you look down through this card, only three-ranked fighters. Dawson, and then you've got some 15th ranked bubble fighters in Kovalkevich and Chris Gutierrez. But when we do go down through it, again, you have 24 total fighters. Only three of them are ranked. There's not a single, not a one rookie debut. And there's only one sophomore showing. And that is Shoot the Box, Diego Lima's own, Mateus Mendonca. So a lot of action. Expect quite a bit. Out of this card, That's probably going to fly under the radar until Saturday. And I I've been down on some of these UFC cards lately. But this one, I'm excited about.
1: There's surprising depth to it, right? It is a fun card because there's a lot of recognizable names on it. When you have a card being opened by J.J. Aldrich versus Montana De La Rosa, is that going to tell you who the next champion is? No, it probably isn't. But those are two fighters who have been featured on some big cards. They're recognizable names for the division. And it's the same thing the whole way out, up and down the card. Bill Algio, he's in a super fun fight himself against Alexander Hernandez at 145. That should be a really fun matchup too. I- there's a lot of fights that, again, are they going to get your average fan excited? No. But if you're in the know,
0: you're getting fired up. For a lot of these matchups, you're getting fired up, and I almost curse Then I will pick and bill algeo fights. Not very good at it, but when it does come down to it, Matt, a lot of big time fights on this card. A somber note, and I don't normally do this on fight night picks, but Matt, I'm wearing it. the t shirt of my favorite pitcher of all time. He passed away today on Sunday, so listen, if you're looking to do anything big, make sure you donate to Brain Cancer Research. Uh, Tim Wakefield passed away today. So some big news here with Fight Night Picks. We were both big Tim Wakefield fans. Tim Wakefield was cool. Not a lot of knuckleballers anymore. Even though Matt cheered for the Yankees, and I cheered for the Red Sox growing up. Matt, some big time fights. If anything changes throughout this week, you can find us here at Fight Night Picks on X, Instagram, and YouTube as well. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Come here this weekend a get right fight this announced on short notice september 22nd in is jj aldrich off a big time second round tko winner last time out came back in early september aldrich getting that win over liang Na, and she's looking to turn it forward replacing egger to take on montana de La rosa and why do i say it's a get right fight well for montana de La rosa she has been since the pandemic a strictly apex fighter but she's been less than that whatever an apex predator is put yourself below that not a bear not a shark not a human Montana like a raccoon. Raccoon. yeah just they a know, trash paid a lot but when you look at it for Della rosa she strictly fought like i said at the apex one and three with a draw has been her record there in the small confines in front of tens of fans and she gets the opportunity to try and turn it forward against aldrich and again for aldrich i say a get right fight as well because you beat liang na as a very big favorite you do what we expected you to do however if you go back and watch that aldrich fight which honestly i don't know what i was doing but i didn't watch it when it was on i'll be completely honest with everybody here didn't watch it but going back and watching it i went holy smokes jj aldrich takedown defense in that fight porous uh listen if you go down through it there were four attempts from liang na three in the first round one in the second round the three in the first round, all scarf hold throws, and she's able to get a couple of them. Get in very advantageous positions. All just able to buck things out of the way and get it back into her domain. You saw that last one. She kind of goes for the double leg. She doesn't get it. Aldrich ends up on top. Aldrich pounds away. I mean, listen, just a call that's been heard uh, oh, wow. for the ends of times. But for Aldrich, that was her first finish win since she beat six and eight. Katina Lowe. Katina Lowe. Somebody who had fought Montana De La Rosa as well. So, again, I say it feels like these two have fought before. I was surprised that they hadn't. But there's a lot of interconnected weaves between these two fighters. Because for Aldrich on the ultimate fighter, she loses two. Eventual champ, Tatiana Suarez, who beat Montana De La Rosa. We know De La Rosa also from The Ultimate Fighter, season 26. Not at strawweight like J.J. Aldrich was, but at flyweight, she got beat out by eventual champ, Nico Montano. So again, a lot of weaving threads between these two, and it very much is a clash of styles. You have round the outside, J.J. Aldrich with the striking. Takedown defense, not the greatest, Spotted. even though it's at 65% UFC stats, but when you look at it for De La Rosa, I mean, a national oh. wrestling champ in high school... And she gets it done there when she gets her wins.
1: This is a weird fight because it kind of falls into a category where we normally talk about this phenomenon with regards to people in main events, which is, hey, both fighters have fought a pretty high level of competition throughout their UFC tenure. they fought a lot of recognizable names, and they themselves are those recognizable names. So I agree with you 100% when you say that it's a get-right fight, but it's a step further than that. The loser of this probably isn't going to fight any more of those recognizable names, and if they are still on the roster, they're probably going to be relegated back down to fighting those up-and-coming prospects because it would be hard to see Montana
0: and De La Rosa on a three-fight losing streak, kind of get another chance of fighting out and the top twenty opponents. Especially when you're an apex fighter. Again, the last five fights yeah. all at the apex, Delarosa in the UFC, yeah. five, four, and one. For the five wins by finish, she's second in flyweight history for submissions behind Jillian Robertson, of course. But you look at those losses, you highlighted them. Andrea Lee, Viviani Arujao, Macy Barber, and Tatiana Suarez. And
1: no with, shame the, in really with the exception
0: of Andrea Lee, who's on a three-fight yeah. losing streak and for all intents and purposes, probably done with the UFC. The other three.
1: All three people. <laughs> All great champions, all
0: loved. But the Andrea Lee fight is one that I do think is important to bring up when you mention this matchup
1: because Andrea Lee is someone who, again, she can use her kicks and fight at range, but she gets a lot of her best work done with her own hands and with the accuracy of her own hands. And if Aldrich is able to bust up Montana Delarosa, similar to how Lee was able to, because Lee did a really good job of just making Delarosa pay for getting into that middle to close range, because she wasn't able to just shoot for those naked takedowns and get away with it without taking damage. She was eating quite a bit. And by the end of that fight, Montana Delarosa's face was a mask of blood and i do think jj aldrich if she is able to start working especially on the back foot and moving forwards i think she can have similar levels of success and that's why the odds are really close because both fighters are such opposites that you could see them both having a lot of success from the early goings really the whole way through 30 27 other way one of those deals because if Delarose rose is able to get the takedown well, if she can do it in round one, she'd probably do it round two and three. And if Aldrich can defend the takedown and answer with strikes, well, again she could probably do it for rounds one, two, and three as well.
0: Delarosa, again, a plus 550 underdog. Her last time out against Suarez, she's fought good competition. She's been wishy-washy so far. For JJ Aldrich. Good competition, but her one loss that you look at, similar to the Andrea Lee loss for Montana De La Rosa, that fight for De La Rosa versus Lee, it was a story of takedowns with nothing to go along with the takedowns. And then, of course, the offense of Andrea Lee. For J.J. Aldrich a couple of fights ago, earlier on, not that long ago, Ariane Lipsky, and it was a very flat performance from Aldrich. So you expected more out of Aldrich in that fight. You expect more out of Aldrich, all things considered. We know De La Rosa for that wild, crazy, close draw to Maeda Buena Silva, who's looked like all that. And a bag of chips up at 135, except for that you saw it a suspension. So the athletic commission you saw, you got to watch out for. Again, the odds are close because it is an interesting fight. It's clash of styles, it's short notice for JJ Aldrich training out of Elevation. And then, of course, De La Rosa out of Genesis BJJ. We have a look at the topology votes. Matt, surprise to us there to you. I'm going to say over under 67.5% Aldrich. I'll say under, but and she'll be the favorite. Under? It is slightly under. So 839 total votes, 61% Aldrich, 89% by decision. For the 39% that have De La Rosa, 79% have her to win by decision. Now, people don't like it when I go, oh, the topology voters, they're wild. However, for De La Rosa, when she does get wins, she tends to get finishes. So I'm a little bit surprised to see all the voters going to a decision in this one. But I do agree in one respect. I think it is a close fight. I'm not surprised by where the odds are at in this one. It's just going to be a story of can Aldridge defend those takedowns, which she struggled her last time out
1: she definitely does now to her in her defense i should say montana de la rosa shoots for ma- much different kinds of takedowns than her last opponent did de la rosa is going to go for much more traditional single and double legs less of the throws not saying she can't do it it's just again a lot of her offense does come from the more traditional double leg takedown so again i'm not saying aldrich is great at defending those either don't get what i'm saying uh mixed up but i do still favor aldrich in this match i do think on a full camp the odds would favor her a little bit more than they do because again it pretty much is a pick 'em. because i think I think her cardio is going to be good enough to last all three rounds. Now, if she's on her back for all three of those rounds, there's not much you can do. She's probably going to lose the decision, but I think her strikes are damaging enough to at least get Montana De La Rosa to not be able to shoot a high volume of takedowns. And if she's not able to shoot a high volume to really get her head out of trouble, I think she is
0: going to eat some boxing combinations as a result. I tend to take JJ Aldrich in a lot of fights. I'm going with Montana De La Rosa in this one. When you watch Aldrich fight, again, from Southpaw, you have a little slight advantage being from that position. But you do look at it for Aldrich, a lot of straight lefts, a lot of right hooks, not a lot of kicks, not a lot of body work. She will jab to the body, but she doesn't have much of a stinging right hook to the body. And when you look at it for Aldrich, again, even in that kind of pop them up, go down Liang Na. Like, she looked like she could have been an all-American wrestler. In that one sequence, Aldridge struggled in that as well. And you mentioned it. It's the non-traditional takedown attempts from somebody like Liang Na. But unlike Liang Na, Montana De La Rosa, when it gets down to the mat, doesn't wilt and give up. So, yeah, I don't normally say things like that. But watch Liang Na fights when she gets in disadvantageous positions. It's over. You can throw your cards in the air. It's over. Matt, we're splitting the pick in this one. You're going with JJ Aldrich. I'm going with Montana De La Rosa. Eager to see who the fans have in this matchup. Let us know down below in the comment section. Some big time fights, including our next between Nate Manis and Mateus Mendonca. You're not going to want to miss that. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks. We always say, let's get, get into it. it. Weird banger coming up this weekend at Flyweight. It's like me on a Friday night trying to broach my wife and we're in the car. We're going to Costco and I said, hey, do you think a weird banger would be if somebody walked out in the UFC to Every Light in the House is On by Trace Adkins and she just kind of went brain neutral and couldn't really function after that. We had an odd time out when we went to town. Matt, weird banger. When it does come down to this one, you look at the matchup and you have... You, we have Nate Mayhem Maynes taking on Mateus Mendonca. It's a story of a big gym versus a small gym. It's a story of former Bantamweights down a flyweight. That's an oddball type of fight. And when you look at it for Mateus Mendonca, he's young. He's a smaller fighter. He's only 24. And this actually is his flyweight debut. And if you look at it for Nate Maynes, a little bit up there in age, still in his physical prime, nonetheless, at 32. But this is going to be his second try at 125 career-wise. Last time out, made the move down. He didn't really have great success when he was taken on to gear Ulan Bekov. It was a high single, and Ulan Bekov raised the knee up. Didn't go high crotch, raised the knee up, dumped Manus, and when Manus went to get back up, that's when he got himself caught in that tricky, tricky choke from Ulan Bekov. First round loss there. So when you look at it for this fight, Matt, Nate Manus, uh, youth pastor out of Kentucky, Mateus Mendonca, blue hair, don't care, out of Brazil. I'm interested to get your thoughts on this one because for Mendonca everything's unorthodox if you look up at the top of this card in the main event you got a guy in Bobby Green that holds his hands really low we know the odd angle punches we know the takedown defense that's the Bobby Green standard a lot of shoulder roll he can get out of the way from the majority of those punches even though and I'm going to break it down a little bit Tony Ferguson landed at the start of the first round Drew Dober remember behind the block line in both circumstances was able to land against Bobby Green as well Mendonca's in that same breath although he will strike a little bit longer he throws the kicks to all three levels. He likes to go teep to the body. He likes to go front kick to the head. But Mendonca throws a little bit of a wrinkle out there. And we know Bobby Green will occasionally go for some takedowns. Mendonca will go for very powerful takedowns. And he's been able to do that against a high level of opponent on the regional scene. We talk about the win over Pedro Nobre that then got Mendonza on a contender series and then into the UFC. We also talk about his win over a Titan Bantamweight champ over with future FC. But for Mendonza, although he's been able to dust the majority of his opponents and he's been able to get seven of them out of there in the first round, when, and it's been a limited sample size, but when we've seen fights go long, we touched on this before he fought Javid Basharat, the wheels completely fall off of his game plan. We to gotta give him Shane Carwin's number. No, no, I'm not even going with Shane Carwin. We're gonna make this one new. But Shane Carwin can tell on. the horror stories. Hold on, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this a new thing for this week because we have two fighters on this card that do it. Mateus Mendonça fights in that Christos Yago zone. He really First does. Round, every other round, completely different fighter.
1: Which is great for him, because that first round is so electric, but that's why it's so difficult to predict a lot of his fights, because he just isn't the same version of himself once he has gas, after he has expended a lot of his energy, and you mentioned it. Even if he does decide to grapple, remember Conor McGregor brought this up? I turn wrestlers into panic wrestlers. I hit them on the feet, make them take terrible takedown attempts, and then knock them out after. Mendonça doesn't shoot, like, crappy takedowns, even when he's tired. He's gonna go for it, and he's gonna go for it with a lot of power behind it, so he's just gonna make himself even more tired the more that this fight goes on, and that is the most difficult thing to predict when you are predicting a Mendonca fight. It's can he find that Goldilocks zone? Because he does remind me a lot of a younger Palo Costa. Remember before he fought Johnny Hendricks? There were all those question marks about, hey, does he have the gas tank? Is he just some big muscle-up dude who can knock people out? And luckily, as his career has progressed, we've learned a lot more about him, and yes, he does have a lot of the other skills. But for Mendonca, it's just the ceiling could be so high, but the floor is so low once we do see all of those cracks in the armor, and that's what is going to be frustrating in this matchup. Now, Nate Mendes does one thing in this fight that I don't like at all and it's he does have a tendency to tense up when he's on the retreat and if Mendonça does throw a lot of blitzes at him with some of those power heavy shots then he could easily get through some of the guard of a guy like Nate Maness, crack cracking with a big shot to the body or to the head. I just don't know if is going to be able to sustain it long enough. This could be like the uh, Mirzakhanov versus Gerald Mearshart fight, remember? Gerald Mearshart took as much damage as he fought, thought he possibly could and then all of a sudden the fight is completely turned around. Mahmoud Muradov,
0: who you're referencing Sorry, there. yes, thank you. When you do look at this fight though Matt I mean for Mateus Mendonca it's really rare that you have a lot of flyweights out of the same gym but he trains with Alana Cemento trains with Daniel Lacerda sure. I, he got a fight rebook for next week taking on Edgar Sheiras again Chris Dione thought he made the right call on that one I personally did and from that opposite Dang, angle that so. came out way after the fact looks like it's all right too for Mendonca though there's two more that are out there Cletison Rodriguez is he a bantamweight, though? I don't know, but I'll just kind of lump him in there a little bit. But the guy that you see a little bit of in their respective games is Lipe de Tona. Felipe de Santos, who came in to take on Manal Cop on really short notice. Both guys will wrestle. Both guys throw those kicks to all three levels. The teeth to the body, the kick to the head. Again, for Mendonca, a very, very good level of competition. And his foray into MMA was a guy who was beating up on his brother, so he brought a scalpel into a gym. Make sure you check out that story from MMA Fighting. A A weird life story from Mateus Mendonça, usually good for about one of those strange stories of MMA lore out of Brazil once a year. When we flip it on over to Nate Maness, and again, you can't forget, Mendonça, first fight at flyweight, career-wise. I don't care if you're 24, I don't care if you're 55. It's a weird career move, and I don't necessarily like it when it's in those really lower weight classes. For Maness, though, he did not interview with James Lynch. The MMA sucker this time. And he said, and I quote, I felt amazing about the weight cut the last time. I've had way worse cuts at 135. I think the older I get, the more disciplined I get... It makes these cuts a lot easier and he also said that he's got two fights left on his ufc deal he really wants to impress for this training camp but a tag mma as well as nice guy submission fighting they brought in a d1 cleveland state 185 or wrestler to train with and he expects a lot of wrestling out of Mendonca in the matchup and Nate ain't was one of those og fighters that dana white wasn't able to pick up on because he would have used his famous saying if he did but if you don't know, now you know. Manus was an original guy being 4-0 as an amateur, 11-1 coming into the UFC. The lone loss was a TKO bantamweight title defense against one of Matt's favorite tricky sidewinding southpaws, Taylor Laplace. He lost that belt. He was able to go out there, get a win, and now he gets to Spider-Man meme it up. And there's a lot of those on this card. But Spider-Man meme it up. With Johnny Munoz Jr. And that was a really weird fight. Point deductions were what they were. The fight was in tight. It was an odd one. Could have gone either way. But Manus gets the win. And then he continued to win. And you look at those wins where he was able to get bonuses. He was able to get a little bit more notoriety. The Luke Sanders fight. What do we remember out of that one, Matt? Luke Sanders the Dante Exum at the UFC. No, no, no. We're trying to bring a new saying in this week. Luke Sanders is the Christos Yago zone. I mean... A hard first round, which Sanders won. But then in the second round, Sanders just flew right off a cliff and then Manus was able to Sanders take Sanders had a lot of deficiencies to his game. Nate Manus then against Tony Gravely. Loses the first round, comes back out, finishes Tony Gravely. The last two losses, finally he doesn't get to take on a Dagestini fighter. He fights Umar Nurmagomedov. You're not going to win that fight. And then he goes out there against Ulan Bekov. And it was a tough luck of the draw. So when you look at this fight, Matt... Regardless of the weight, I am surprised that Mendanza, for not having a single UFC win, is about a 3-1 to favorite in the fight. We'll see if the fans agree. We have a look at the top. The only thing that I do want to say though, at 24, I don't worry about the weight cut as much. I will say, like, the guy I understand, is, but he's, he's fast and loose, and he holds his hands down, and he's extremely hittable. He's and also na- 5'6", so if he fought at Bantamweight, there's gonna be other
1: guys who are way bigger than him. Like, Marlon Vera is 5'10". Like, you just gotta think, he's not the biggest guy in the world, and at 24 years old, I don't think moving down to 125 is the career killer that we've made
0: it double john's like we're walking out of the rippers dodson and Lineker would have the thing to say to you we have a look at the topology matt surprise who aren't in the ufc anymore to us they are to you pyotr jan i'm gonna say over under 70% mendonci here i think it'll be over what world do we live in? A thousand and three total votes, 78% Mendonza, 57% by knockout for the 22% that have Mainus, 72% by decision. I should say this. While Mendonza's never fought at flyweight, and Mainus is making another cut to flyweight, and it might seem like a weird flyweight fight where they should be fighting at bantamweight, kinda like how Alexander Hernandez is trying to make featherweight this weekend again. Nate Maness did touch on it in that MMA Sucker interview that this was at flyweight. So make sure you tune in for this fight because both these guys tend to go out on their shield if it does go out early. I'm going to go with Mendonca. I think the odd angle punches. You brought it up and kind of buried the lead. Nate Maness stands extremely tall for being the tallest fighter in the flyweight division. He stands really tall he is good at checking leg kicks, which is nice to see in a matchup like this. And he is a very good counter-striker. That's my biggest point for Nate Manis So, I could definitely see an underdog performance for Manis getting a win here. The veteran savvy, he's fought very big names. Again, when he was the TKO and even before that, Jesse Arnett, the big cat, that was a win to get the belt over TKO in Quebec. He also had fights against Mark McDonald, Kyle Machado, and and the like. So again, for me, I do like Mendonca. I think the power can carry him. I like the wrestling. He can mix it up, but this feels like a trap card fight for me.
1: It does a little bit, but to me, it comes down to, is Mendonca going to lose it for himself? Because if he does end up getting tired maintenance takes over, he's probably going to have some level of success before he does tire out because he does throw the kitchen sink at his opponent. So I think if he is able to land some of those more dynamic shots on the outside, he is the more powerful striker. He should be able to catch the chin of maintenance, but this is one of those fights where again, if you notice him start to slow down even a little bit that's what us could start to take over
0: but i do have Mendonca for the pick every light in the house is on the front yard looks like runway lights matt going with that hot and bothered kid out of brazil it's mateus Mendonca to get the win let us know down below in the comment section who you have in the matchup some big time fights in this card including the aforementioned green versus dawson in the main event you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fighting a picks we always say let's, let's get in. into it invicta versus lfa Strawway champs battle it out like it's lupe godinas taking on emily ducati the only other recorded opportunity the titleists have fought each other in the ufc like that from those organizations we have Kanako murata taking on the little monster vanessa demopoulos and when you look at a matchup like this matt i think the biggest storyline of course is that of the returning Japanese fighter in this matchup. And she's got a really good story to the return. Because if you look at the last UFC card that we had, who competed out of Japan on a really long layoff due to injury? It was Mizuki. And Mizuki was able to go out there, get the finish off of what? A two and a half year layoff in that one? Out of reversal Jim Miwi, And who did she have in her corner? Kanako Murata, who's fighting on this card. Now, for Mizuki, it was major knee injuries. For Murata... Her last time out, she's taking on Vina Janji First round, Janji with a really tight armbar. And if you forget and you didn't watch that fight, I, I really do suggest that you do. Murata! when she's at her best she's pushing a pace she's using her wrestling she was a world champion wrestler out of japan when she was making the come up before she transitioned into mma and murata just couldn't get anything going it was a lot of big straight right hands you saw janji Doba really stumble wobble murata and the two things that you remember after the first round were not only the really tight armbar that murata was able to kind of transition through but also remember the big swollen right eye that murata had and it was kind of tough to see where that came through in the changes but in the second round the commentary didn't pick up on it until about the last minute Hop, half you could see the elbow was definitely dislocated Murata posted it on her instagram it was now she's coming off of a little over a two-year layoff to take on vanessa demopoulos who if anything has been very active since she's joined That's the up. ufc the one thing about demopoulos that you either like or you don't like is She's mixed it up with a lot of different gyms coming into the UFC. She was billed out of California, then she was out of Fight Ready, then she was out of Factory X, which is where we saw her for her last fight. And then coming into this one, listen to an interview that she did with Guess Who James Lynch. And she touched on the fact that she's really happy to be representing the UFC PI, it's kind of her own tailored gym situation, but out of the PI and Extreme Couture for this one. So for Demopolis. Where does the bread get buttered? She's a great grappler when it does touch the mat. It doesn't necessarily have to be her own takedown that gets it there for her to win in the scrambles. You remember her get right, kind of get back into it swing fight that she had against Sam Hughes when she was able to win the belt over with the LFA. You think about her fights that she's had in the UFC where things maybe haven't gone her way, like where she got knocked down by Silvana gomez Juarez only to then... Throw that trap card and get the submission win in her own right, but for Demes- Vanessa Demopoulos, rather, the weird parts about it are you look at some of the losses JJ Aldrich up a weight class on short Strap notice, it. getting struck on the outside. You look at her last time out against Carolina Kovacavich, kind of the same thing. So, for Demopoulos, when things are going well. It's, it's in the same zone. She's working in some takedown. She's pressuring her opponent like she was able to do against Maria Oliveira until she got tired in the third round, and then she became the nail to that hammer. So I'm eager to see this one, Matt, because for Demopolis, again, I can cherry-pick some of these fights, The Corey McKenna fight, where she got controlled for over 10 minutes on the ground. The Murata fight against Marcos, where she controlled for over 10 minutes on the ground. It's going to be an interesting fight in this one for sure. And plan Bs are going to be very important because like you said, both fighters, when everything
1: is going their way, they can be that one-way traffic. But even for Kanako, I do think it's fair to bring up the fact that, hey, if she's not able to go out there and really dominate with her wrestling, is her striking from the outside going to be good enough to go out there and win a 15-minute fight, really just primarily on the feet? Now, I do think the threat of the wrestling and can at least help her get closer to her opponent, maybe open up some of that striking. But it's going to come down to, can Kanako have a good enough plan B to where if the takedowns aren't having enough success, if she's not able to win a couple of rounds based on the top pressure, can her striking at least get the respect of Demopolis on the feet? Because I don't think anybody in the gym, anybody on TV, anybody watching this fight wants to see these two strike for 15 pure minutes. I think the grappling exchange is going to be really fun between them because like you had mentioned, I think this really is going to be a key to the matchup. Can Demopolis do well? work off her back at least in some kind of a scramble situation because if marata is just really heavy in that top spot then you don't really need to listen to us any longer like she's going to be able to hold it for the majority of the fight probably make for a bit of a stale view if we're being honest not create too much separation to help demopolis but if she can just maintain those positions i do think kanako can look really dominant with her own wrestling but you bring it up, too. Her last matchup against Vina, who, again, is extremely well-rounded. Can look good in basically every aspect of MMA. It did show a lot of holes in her game, and I understand the arm was injured. But the striking defense wasn't necessarily there. So I wonder if Vanessa could have success on the feet to maybe even make Kanaka the more defensive fighter yeah, on the outside. Yeah,
0: Murata could not defend the strikes whatsoever. No. And her sample size in the UFC is that of a 1-1 and fighter. Big win over ran Marco Slight underdog against Vina Janjidoba, who was ranked... But Murata was in the red corner. It's always interesting to see that kind of A side, B side. But when you do look at it for Murata, a big time get right fight, that junior world championship in wrestling, kind of similar to another Japanese prospect in Rinya Nakamura, a guy who can definitely get it done on the mat. But when I look at Murata, I hope that you notice this. This is my comparison for Murata as a mixed martial artist. When the wrestling doesn't work, she looks a lot like the guitar hero, Justin James, with her striking. Yeah. It's a lot of non-striking defense. Big swings, bucks. big misses. And Demopolis can be like that a little bit. She's a little bit more tight with the striking. But when you look at it for Demopolis, the big story here is negative strike differential in the UFC. 3.71 strikes landed per minute to 5.61 uh, taken. And if you look at it for her as far as the takedowns, the takedown defense uh she's defended two or three takedowns against her the takedown accuracy she's gone three of 20 in ufc and i I guess yeah it's it's bad the takedown accuracy so again when you look at this one it's a little bit of a clash of styles murata outside of the ufc had wins over Dakota, who i already mentioned she also had a win over one of matt's favorite female fighters angela magana that's a big win over with ryzen and she also had a win over sarai araso please never say that ever again a loss to somebody who's coming outside of a two-fight stint in the ufc kanako murata at 4-0 fought rin nakai rin nakai somebody who wants to get back into the ufc for wins over 500 fighters and taking racy pictures on her instagram matt when you look at this fight uh listen two-year layoff Hurt elbow, minus 300. Is it warranted? I don't think so. But Kaneko Morata, is that against Demopolis? We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise, us there to you. I'm going to say over-under 85% Morata. I'm going to say over. And it is under 1,012 total votes. 78% uh, percent going Morata. 88% by decision. For the 22% that of Demopolis, 75% by decision. We harped on it a little bit too much, but again, the Morata striking defense or last timeout was not great. And out of recent camps, we saw her, her last time out, competing with CSA Gym down in California. Kieran Fitzgibbon, somebody who's trained with Henry Cejudo, who's trained with Chris Cyborg. Uh, who else? Gaston Boylanos. That's a pretty good name. Zoila Frost, one of Matt's favorite fighters as well uh but for this one training out of Japan maybe we see a 2-0 off of two respective cards but I do see that for Morata I think she's going to be able to get the win off that wrestling strength alone just where we've seen Demopolis kind of trying to win out of some of the scrambles in her fights and she struggled against pure wrestlers so for that reason I like Morata here
1: I think she is going to be the much heavier fighter in that top spot not really allowed Demopolis to initiate her scrambling game or really threaten with a lot of submissions off her back and again on the feet this probably isn't going to be a great fight guys let's just call it what it is but on the mat I think we could get some really fun grappling exchanges between both fighters, but Murata to me is just the much more physically dominant fighter, especially with her own grappling. So, for
0: those reasons, I got to pick her in this one. Maybe we see that big overhand, right? Like Demopolis was able to throw against Maria Oliveira, but Matt, both of us going with the Japanese fighter. In this one, Kanako Murata to get back on the win streak. Some big time fights on this card, including Chris Gutierrez taking on Montel Jackson. Big time banger. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name picks. So we always say, let's get. Get into it fanweights who've been more nailed than they have been hammered inside of the UFC's octagon. We have the Mongolian murderer Ari long taking on Kid Kavenbo. Johnny Munoz Jr. When I say what I said, I say it because these two guys have losing UFC records. They've had some fun fights. For sure. One of them has. And when you look at it for Johnny Munoz Jr., when he's fought pure wrestlers inside of the UFC, he's been able to beat them. We think of the Jamie Simmons submission win. We think of the win that he had over Ludwig Cholignon, where he was able to pressure the pace. But for Munoz Jr., I can give you a really quick Coles notes to get you out of here, send you home happy. Trained out a sequence jiu-jitsu got his brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt at age of 20 trained other his mother and his father's his father's nickname was <laughs> Kid Kavenbo and his name was also Johnny Munoz That's why he's a junior and it's pretty lame But when you look at it for Munoz jr. These days Whoa. training at of on gym with one of Matt's favorite fighters Where I don't have all these favorites. Where's this coming from? Jose Alberto Quinones, Teco Quinones So for Munoz jr. You sure is sh- Hope his striking's coming because in the UFC it's been a lot of this I and not a lot of this. It's like he's not Clay Guida's brother. Slapping you're in like Vince Flair, hit yourself he, until you bleed. Calm down again, like Clay Guida's brother. Let out a burp between the Woo. the rounds and then give him a couple slabs. But for Munoz Jr., it's been a lot of volume with no payback. And when you look at it for Arichi Long, if there was the payback, this is where it could pay off because Arichi Long, if he's been anything, it's been hittable. You saw it his last time out. Gets hit by Eamon Zahabi near the end of the first round of their matchup. Eamon, looking like he's Patrick Roa, just throwing those arms up there. But the ref wanted to see a little bit more, so Eamon had to go. Knocked down that door, hit him with the Paul Bunyan. So Arichi Long is last time out. He did get finished. That was earlier on this year, UFC two eighty eight. And for Arichi Long, it's been a really weird run too. The Coles notes. He takes on Jeff Molina in the debut. He gets dropped twice in the second round. Zombies himself back in, in the third round. It's a fight of the night at UFC two sixty one. Takes on Cody Durden. Gets out-wrestled. First round, second round. rallies back a little bit in the third round. Ultimately loses that matchup. Beats Cameron Elts. Not ready for primetime player like Saturday Night Live. He beats Jay Perrin in a pretty close fight, all things considered. But definitely the harder shots landed by Aruchi Long. And then, of course, left hook to the ground strikes. It was early in the first round. My apologies against Damon Zahabi. So when it does come down to this one, Matt, Aruchi Long, even really really low on the pro record he was one of those fighters not necessarily like um shit what's his name buddy out of uh ukraine there the guy that had the salty records that that was very padded and then not padded by the time he fought against alonzo Manafield, ashgar major that was his name Aruchi Long's record when he was in the UFC went through a SureDog Fight Finder remix. And then some fights got added as losses and some as wins. But you look at it really early on. In 2016, he took on Grigory Popov, who was already popping off as an old young man. And then he also had a loss in 2017 to Kaikara France. I went back and watched that fight. It's wild because... A richie long struggles in the takedowns but there was one point where he caught kai off balance with a big right hand that was able to kind of just send him backwards for a bit so we know both these guys quite well if you watch the tape on either of them ufc or otherwise a richie long former wlf wars Banway champ Uh, Johnny Munoz Jr., King of the Cage, Banaway Champ. There's a lot that you can study on them, but as far as tape study is concerned, Aruchi Long, Sanda, Sanchu Fighter, both those things together, that Kung Lee type of discipline. And For Johnny Munoz Jr., it's the wrestling, even though his takedown accuracy is bad, and it's Jiu-Jitsu, it's pretty darn good when you can get it there. But if not, and if these two guys get tired, it gets a little bit squirrely, and Plan B, again, can be very interesting. This fight's either going to be awesome or terrible. And I'm going to sell you
1: both packages right now. If Archie Long's able to, I don't think he's going to wrestle a lot in this fight, but that's always been the underrated thing about him. I know Cody Durton was able to take him down quite a bit and he had success with his own wrestling, but Archie Long does wrestle quite a bit when he has that advantage in his game. And that's normally when we do see him have a lot of success because it allows him to disguise some of those bigger shots on the feet that we always know he's possessed with some of those takedown attempts. And for Munoz, you bring it up. He is one of those wrestlers or sorry grapplers i should say that the fight just kind of ends up on the mat and then he has success with his grappling less so than him going out there and like yoel romero ankle picking his opponent to the mat but i do think archie long if he is having enough success on the feet he might pull a kelvin Gaston when he fought israel adesanya kind of shoot for a takedown almost out of overexcitement because he is having so much success now if that happens Munoz might be able to grapple himself back into this matchup but do you you think Munoz can make archie lang pay enough on the feet with his volume not a chance that's the thing if he's not able to hit him with enough accuracy with some of those shots, I think Archie Long is going to be able to get into the pocket and start landing his own power shots, and if that is the case, it may be a difficult night for Moon News unless his volume is just so overwhelming that he's able to negate some of the cleaner shots that uh, Archie Long is able to land himself. It just, it really does come down to the power versus
0: the finesse and the volume, if
1: you will, be it with the striking or with the wrestling, too.
0: Well, and what you like out of Archie Long as far as, yes, the strike differential in the UFC, it's been a small sample size. It is a negative at minus one point oh eight, but the volume six point oh four strikes landed per minute to seven point one two absorbed, and he's got a forty nine percent straight defense. If that number is below fifty five percent, you're getting a little bit worried that this guy goes red line. And so far, he's gone red line. I mean, listen, did the piston pop? I don't know. Did it? I don't know. But when you watch a guy like Aruchi Long, that's what you worry about. So in a matchup like this, Matt, uh, the odds are pretty much at a pick and We have a look at the top. All you vote. Surprise to us, Sarah. to you? One guy's a fan favorite. One guy's not. I'm going to say over, under 65% Aruchi Long. I'm sorry,
1: Craig. I got to
0: do what you do to me. Babe, I'm sorry.
1: Johnny Munoz Jr. is fighting, and I'm a big fan, so we can't, like... Neither
0: one of these guys are real fan favorites. One guy won a fight of the night on the undercard of a pay per view. Fans are going to get excited about that guy's style more so than a guy who has a decision win I, over an ultimate fighter semi finalist loser and Jamie Simmons. We who, both
1: spend a lot of time unfortunately, on Unfortunately,
0: You and I both have, never, have never seen anybody go. go Archie Long. Over under 65%, the, the Mongolian murderer. Under. Under. And it is the opposite in that percentage, Matt. 984 total votes. 65% Munoz Jr. 77% by decision for the 35% that have a Richie Long. 60% by decision. 30% by knockout. Matt, Johnny Munoz Jr.'s last time out, he took on Daniel Santos. He was a big underdog. I forgot that. I thought that was a close fight in general. And Johnny Munoz Jr. just happened to lose it. Johnny Munoz Jr. in the first round pulled guard and thought he was hot to trot with his back off the mat. Guess what? He wasn't, and he lost that fight overwhelmingly by decision. So, who do you have in the matchup in this one? I don't like it, but I have Johnny Munoz Jr. I think he's going to get hit by big shots, don't get me
1: wrong, and I think he's going to get taken down, but... I think the volume is going to be able to outweigh whatever damage he does eat throughout this fight. And I do at least have a little bit more confidence in the overall volume. Not that Archie Lang's not going to be there in the third round. Because even in some of his most impressive performances, be it wins or losses, he kind of finished the fight quite strong. I just don't know if he's going to be able to be consistent enough throughout the 15 minutes to get a win over Munoz Jr. So I think it's a close fight. Hopefully it's a really fun fight if they do end up grappling for any period of it. But I do have Johnny Munoz Jr. in the matchup.
0: I know there's somebody out there right now. When the odds are close, these guys... They split the picks, and that's how they do this, and that's how they keep their record around 500. Guess what? That's not how it works their statistically throughout an entire year. And when I look at this one, I have a Richie Long. He trains with Alatang Lee, who's a decent defensive wrestler. He trains with Henry Sudo out of Fight Ready. He trains with Jonathan Pierce as well. I like a Richie Long. There's not a big sense that he's going to get knocked out by Johnny Munoz Jr. And by and large, a Richie Long, although he was taken down by Jay Perrin, was able to get out of the bad, disadvantageous positions and mix it up on the feet. So for me, I like a Richie Long in the matchup. Matt going with Kid Kavenbo, Johnny Munoz Jr. Let us know who you have. Will it be Inner mongolias own or will it be the man out of California? IA? A big time matchup on this card. Now we get to flip it forward in this band weight division and look at number 50. 15, trying to hold his spot. Chris Gutierrez taking on Montel Jackson. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's Let's get get into it. it. Bantamweight rankings on the line. This fight's better than the main event. We have number 15th ranked El Guapo. Chris Gutierrez taking on Quick. A Montel Jackson, a guy that likes to knock other men's lights out while other people watch it on television. And this is a big time fight. When you look at a guy like Chris Gutierrez, he went 10 and 2 as an amateur. He's 19, 4 and 2 as a pro. Matt, he's kind of like one of our favorite wrestlers as a kid, which was a weird one. Fit Finley. Matt, the guy's friendly. the guy's sixty five now. Like in the mid two thousands, he was in his forties, and he was just going out there with that wrestling. It's not a singlet because there were two straps, but. Just going out there with a regular body. I guess he was a little bit buffed up, but... No, he wasn't. It he was a regular man. He had a lot of experience behind him. And like that, Chris Gutierrez... I mean, you look at the guys that he fought on the regional scene. A Ray Rodriguez fight to get himself into the UFC. That became a UFC vet. You had a brooding rivalry against Jimmy Flick. And not just mma which he had a win but also in muay thai and then the back-to-back draws against timor valley of kind of the golden child at one point with world series a win and a loss but chris gutierrez i mean comes in ultimate fighter finale lose to howdy barcelos rattles off an unbeaten streak i know we had that draw out there against cody durden but a lot of wins along the way the finish win over a former champ an all-time legend a future ufc hall of famer frank yeager and that set gutierrez up very very well against the stylistic equal foe in the leg kicking king of pedro munoz now by the end of that fight chris gutierrez tail between his legs Like, people don't look at Chris Gutierrez the same way after that Munoz fight. We're just after that Munoz fight, and I'm saying it. But by the numbers, you look at the leg kicks in that fight. Munoz landed 34, Gutierrez landed 39. But Munoz was able to land all three levels. He was also able to drop Gutierrez, where he he switched from Orthodox to Sopa. And then he was able to land that big hook that dropped Gutierrez about the middle of the first round, have some really good ground and pound. And Gutierrez is just kind of... Able to hold his guard, lock the legs. And when you're taking on a guy like Montel Jackson, again, knockdown ratio for Jackson in the UFC, 12-0. 12-0. We know the losses at this point. Brett Johns, hell of a fighter. Gone too soon from the UFC over to a bit of a lackluster Bellator turn. But also, Jackson, he did lose when he went out there against Ricky Simone, who's in the rankings, just continues to climb. When you look at a guy like Jackson, what he can pull from a guy like Munoz, well... You're a southpaw, Harry. And he's able to do that Not is Montel path. Jackson. But the other part about it for Jackson, yeah, very tall stance. Fair we know up. how tall he is. He's going to have an 8.5-inch reach advantage. So we'll see how he deals with the leg kicks. But the boxing to a guy like Gutierrez, who equally stands tall with his hands chest tight it's gonna be a good night for one of these guys and for one of them it's gonna go really bad Chris Gutierrez reminds me a little bit
1: of my boy Michael Chuck, and this is why if the fight is fought under his terms where he can just bring out the best version of his gameplay and you're not testing the worst parts of his game he is gonna look like an absolute world beater if you just allow him to tee off on your lead leg throw some boxing combinations here and there and throw some knees up the middle you're gonna have an awful night on your hands fighting a guy like Gutierrez because he can do that all 50 minutes and not really slow down at all if you allow him to stay at his own pace, but if you can eliminate the leg kick, It does make your night quite a bit easier. And the weird thing about Jackson is, I don't think he can do that, to be completely fair. Like, he is going to have to eat quite a few for his troubles, but he can respond with power shots to the head of Gutierrez. What do we talk about a lot on this channel? Straight shots versus power shots. You might assume, hey, Gutierrez is known for a lot more of his shots down the middle, while Jackson throws a lot more looping shots he can throw down the middle too. He has the more variety in his striking. But Jackson, with the looping shots, I think can get around some of that guard of Chris Gutierrez, because Gutierrez is a little bit robust. Robotic with some of the striking defense. To where if he's not using his legs to hold on, is he like Justin Fields? He's not like Justin Fields. Justin Fields would have blamed his coaches. But for Gutierrez, he can just kind of get caught with his hands up, and it's one of those cases of, hey, if you hit my arms, that's great. If you make it through my arms, you're probably going to find it to the target. And I'm not trying to diminish all of Gutierrez based on that last performance, because hey, a lot of people thought Pedro Munoz beat Marlon Vera his last time out, and Marlon Vera is a pretty darn good fighter. So for Gutierrez, he still does have a bright future in this division, but it is weird that this fight is so far down on the card, and it's probably as important as it is, because the winner of this is going to fight another ranked fighter at the bantamweight division a division that's wide open and anybody in the top 50 could probably win the title on any given day so it is
0: kind of a big deal for both these fighters i mean for montel jackson first crack at the rankings i was going through my record collection trying to think well hey how could i liken this to a song title and then i landed on conway twitty 20 certified number one hits, and I was going down through the back, and side A, side B, there's a lot of songs on these vinyls, but I went with, You've Never Been This Far Before. Linda, on my mind, is the most Conway Twitty name a song could All have. right, so 1973 had a number one hit called, You've Never Been This Far Before. Matt, it's the most crass song I've ever heard. Now, Conway Twitty put his heart on his sleeve in these ballads but i'm gonna read you the third verse of the song i played it for my wife and she was queasy this afternoon it goes like this i don't know what i'm saying as my trembling fingers touch forbidden places i only know that i've waited for so long for the chance that we are taken matt conway twitty singing about deflowering a woman in 1975 i don't like it it's wrong feel uncomfortable but listeners and probably the record label had that one hit number one in 1973. I'm uncomfortable. What asked, does that have to do with Montel Jackson and Chris Gutierrez? You slowly forgot. He's never been this far before. And he's getting that shot at the rankings. Matt, Montel Jackson, a favorite in the matchup. We have a look at the topology vote. Surprise thoughts is there to you. And we haven't even mentioned the fact that Jackson can grapple. Yeah, so Montel Probably Jackson should. was Just an Olympic forward. he was an Olympic hopeful for grab or for wrestling and in 2013 when the IOC said see you later to wrestling, it was also a spot where Montel Jackson was helping take care of his uh, grandparents if I'm not mistaken and he kind of bowed out of wrestling to then transition over into MMA. And you'll even think of that fight where he's taking on Brian Kelleher, And If you blinked, you thought, wow, it's over just like that. Yeah. You remember the submission when that Jackson was able to get in that one, a very, very interesting fighter. Is he, and his last time out, Matt, we shed a single tear for my boy, Ronnie. Ayaya. Performance of the night just bonus there for Jackson. So again, we've dropped the obscurest of references. We talked about favorite fighters, Like my guy, Ronnie Yaya. And in the main event, I'll talk about my guy, Leo Santos. But when you look at this Jackson favorite, I'm gonna say over under people are gonna it's a buy low opportunity on the rank guy who everybody was high on taking on Pedro Munoz. Yeah, Yeah, I'm gonna say over under eighty percent Montel Jackson.
1: Uh I think it'll be over.
0: All right. I don't agree with it if it's over. Chris Gutierrez was a about a two to one favorite against Pedro Munoz. Oh, it's closer. 1,031 total votes, 60% Jackson, uh, 76% by decision. For the 40% that have Gutierrez, 78, 76% by decision. I've been wearing glasses today, so I can't read that small number. Who do you have in the matchup? I've got Montel
1: Jackson. I think this is a really fun fight. This is going to be in the running for fight of the night. I can already tell it's probably going to be lead question mark kicks. But I do think Jackson, with the threat of the wrestling, is going to be able to open up his own striking quite a bit. And Gutierrez, if things are going his way, he is an absolute handful to deal with and could beat anybody in the world. But if you eliminate the leg kick, and can at least threaten enough with some of the wrestling to eliminate some of the kicks of Gutierrez. I think Jackson can not only have success with his wrestling and grappling, but also have success in the feet too. So I've got Montel Jackson. But again, I don't say this is going to be a fight of the night because I think it's going to be a one-sided beatdown. Like, it should be a great matchup.
0: Uh, for me, Matt, like a Conway Twitty hit, after all the good is gone. I think that's where it's going to be for Chris Gutierrez. I think Jackson takes that number from him. But Conway Twitty reached the top with hits such as, and I don't feel comfortable saying this, the game's Daddy's play. I don't like it. Also a song called, and I quote Matt, and this one's tough. Uh, let's go with, I can't believe she gives it all to me. Conway Twitty, women went nuts for this f-ing guy. Matt. Both of us going with Montel Jackson to get the win. Some big-time fights on this card, including that aforementioned main event, Bobby Green looking to make the rankings, taking on Grant Dawson. You're going to want to keep it locked in with Fighting Apex, we always say. Let's Let's get get into it. Former KSW title fighters battle it out in the confines of the small UFC Apex. I mean, listen, massive fights over in Europe. To a tiny fight in front of 10s. We have the Warrior Princess. Romanian-Canadian Diana Balbića. Taking on Poland's own Karolina Kovalkiewicz. And I'll focus on the younger fighter for just a moment. Because you know Kovalkiewicz for that massive win over Rosna Yunus A fight of the night at UFC 201. Nine to get the title ago. shot against Ioannia Jacek. And that was not a good fight for Carolina. But for the younger fighter, fighter Diana Belvizia, she was a kickboxing champ the world over. I mean, an IKF champ. She was a WAKO world kickboxing champ back in 2012. IKF world Kempo champ. In Kempo Karate in 2014. But for Belbizia, always build out of Romania. She was able to kind of climb to the top of the mountain over with KSW. Fought Ariane Lipski at KSW 39. That was a big Coliseum show. They headlined the prelims with a title fight. That's how good that one was. Belbizia not on the winning end in that one. And then it was kind of a rocky way into the UFC. Didn't fight the highest level competition. It's been so-so in the UFC as well. But for Belbizia, Matt, we can say it now. She's been fighting out of cottage country in Ontario for a bit, but now... Diana Belbizia is a Canadian. She kicked off UFC 289 in Vancouver with a big, big-time win over Maria Oliveira. Got the Canadian crowd into it. They were super behind were Belbizia. Up. And I don't care if that Rom- Romanian flag gets flown. Belbizia is now a Canadian. That kicked off all of the Canadians winning. And the last one was Mike Malat on that card. But Belbizia with a big striking performance against the fellow striker in Maria Oliveira. This is going to be the big story. Belbizia, taller, longer, but she gives up distance in her fights. And for Carolina Kovaciewicz, she still is able to throw that crazy output. She was on a five-fight losing streak. It looked like the walking papers were on the line. But her last three fights out beats Felice Herrig, old foe. Beats Savannah gomez Juarez, And her last time out, beat Vanessa Dimopoulos through the three rounds. And so it's going to come down to this, Matt. ATT's Zone Kovaciewicz. Can she still pull that trap card of, I can close the distance. I can land the volume like we saw even Hannah Goldie do was a smaller fighter against Belbizia, though Belbizia did drop her in the first round.
1: Oh, that was the hit. Ah! Uh- Here's
0: the weird thing about this matchup. Carolina Kovalevich has been a fighter
1: who, there were those weird bouts of inactivity, right, during that losing streak, and you did wonder if she had retired on numerous occasions, but about her win streak, it has been nice to see all of that be somewhat recently, right? It's all kind of self-contained within a year and a half streak, which is nice to see her get four solid performances out there within about a year and a half, because we did have a lot of those questions just surrounding her whole entire career for the longest time. But this is a weird fight, because I feel like initially you look at the matchup and you think, hey, the UFC's doing a fighter who fought for a." title dirty like they do most fighters at her age, right? A 37-year-old who had a big win streak, who isn't maybe in her prime anymore, is now fighting this newer up-and-cover, and it might make you think, oh, that newer up-and-cover is going to have a lot of success, but you kind of mentioned mention it. The fighters who beat Karolina Koblekevich, for the most part, are able to mix their martial arts, and not just allow her to strike on the inside, use the clinch, or even use some of the offensive wrestling that we have seen in her back pocket, especially in some of these more recent wins, but for Balbizia, is she going to be able to threaten anything with her grappling, or at least be good enough to defend her grappling, or defend the take? of Carolina because Carolina has improved a lot of that uh, part of her game throughout this part of her whole entire career. She was just Muay Thai up until that title shot against Ioana. Had a lot of losses which really did force her to go back and restart her game but I do think she has made a lot of improvements even though maybe physically she might be past her prime. I do think her game is a lot more mixed martial artsy if you will than it was before while she was a better fighter per se.
0: She mixed martial martial artsy herself into a takedown and a submission against Jessica Penne. but then her next time out She's able to do the same thing and look like a world beater against Felice Harry. So what do I know, Matt? When you do look at a matchup like this, again, there's a 10-year age gap, which typically favors the younger fighter for sure. Kovalkevich is a few weeks away from her 38th birthday. But again, I look at this one, Belbitz's background, her first martial arts was the judo before the karate and the kickboxing but we don't see a lot of that we do see a good clinch game out of Belbitzio yeah. we see a good clinch game out of both of I these I favor Carolina though but I'll be interested to see Matt what the fans think about this one because again the strike numbers are insane for both these women when they're hitting at their peak Belbitzio is somebody that can keep that volume for the three levels and Kovalkiewicz is as well I mean both of them have fought in five round fights exactly. in the past Belbitzio Bell obviously switching things up from her native Europe down to house of champions in Ontario And when you look at it for Kovalevich, originally training out of Poland, down to ATT. A lot of good Polish fighters out of ATT. You think of Boris Mankowski, who trains with Mateusz Kamrad, who got the win in the last main event that we had when he was taking on Fazeev, although unfortunately injuries. Look at the odds in the fight, Matt. I didn't know what they were until actually right now. Kovalevich is almost a two-to-one favorite. We have a look at the fan vote. Surprise us, it is to you. I think it's going to be close. I'm going to say over under 65% Kovalevich. I think it'll be under. Ah, it's over. Oh, boy. Uh, 987 total votes. 85% Kovalkiewicz. 88% by decision. For the 15% that have Belbitzio, 85% by decision. Diana Belbitzio in the UFC. The losses. Molly McCann. Somewhat forgivable. That was almost four years ago. Liana Jojua by submission. It was going really good until Belbitzio was going for takedowns against Jojua. Kind of that Kovalkiewicz against Penne. She got the win over Goldie. And then she lost to the old 6-6 six and six, Lori de DiPaola. at so, uh, Belbitzia, not a great level of competition. Kovalevich, most of the losses to pretty good fighters. The wins, they've all been outside of the top 15. So, who do you have in the matchup here? Everything I've said and
1: everything I know about MMA tells me I should pick Carolina Kovalkiewicz. She has a high level of experience. She's fought really just a lot of great fighters throughout her whole entire career. Even the Felice Herring fight, like you said, that was the second time around. They had a really fun fight the first time, uh, the first matchup. Carolina beats the Brinks off her in the clinch. I believe it was a split decision, which is kind of ridiculous because Carolina convincingly won that fight. But given the fighters a decade younger, I think Diana, B- Diana Beach is going to be able to do enough on the outside to really make the fight uncomfortable for Carolina Kovalciewicz to where she's not going to crash that distance, use her clinch to try to initiate those elbows because that probably is the best part of her game and I could see her using that a lot in this matchup. Help her duck under for takedowns too if she is able to get into that clinch position. I just think Carolina's
0: is going to eat some shots on her way in for it and I don't know if that's going to allow her to fight her fight for 15 minutes. Belbizio looked amazing her last time. out. Big improvements from that loss to Gloria Paula to then taking on a tricky fighter, Maria Oliveira. A spider Girl got a UFC win. So I don't feel good game. about my pick. Yeah, I, you know what? I understand where you're going with it. Give me Karolina Kovalevich in the matchup, Matt. The Keyboard Warriors are going to be out there. But for me, I'd like to sustain volume for Kovalevich. I don't see her having to defend a lot of takedowns. And no, it's true. not like she's taking on a striker like a Jan Nan or one of those upper echelon fighters. We're still outside of the top 15. So I'm going to go with the longtime ranked party out of Poland in this one, Matt. We're split on the pick. Really eager to hear from the fans in this one. The fans over on Topology overwhelmingly Outside. going with Kovalkiewicz, who is favored in this one. So let us know who you have. Some big-time fights on this card, including, Matt, the co-main event, B. Joe Pfeiffer, Ooh. taking on Abdul Razak Hassan out of Ghana. Let us know who you have in these fights in the comments. Keep it locked in with Fight Nate Picks. and As we always say, let's, let's get, get into,
1: into it. it.
0: strange brew like bob and doug mckenzie coming up this weekend at featherweight we have alexander the great a Hernandez, bad nickname gonna be taking on senor perfecto it's also a bad nickname the king of prussia out of you guessed it king of prussia pennsylvania bill algio when it comes down to this fight matt i'm bad at picking bill Algio fights i went back through it we're both not good you're Better than I am, but still, neither one of us are good. Matt, I'm two and five picking Bill Algio fights. You're three and four. And when we look at his matchups, I mean, the five on in are three and two. You look at the losses, he loses to Ricardo Hamosh a long time ago. We both picked him to beat Hamosh. Lost Andre Feely by split decision. I had Algio, you had... In our
1: defense, Feely. I feel like I'm oddly good at picking
0: Alexander Hernandez oh, fights, though. We are good at picking... See? We are good at picking Alexander Hernandez fights. Now, for Hernandez, when I say it's a strange brew type of fight, I say, wow. We're poor at picking Algeo fights, but it's a weird mix when you look at it for Hernandez because a couple of fights ago, it was his career featherweight debut. Kind of like a Mendanza Manus that's earlier on in this card. Hernandez takes on Billy Q. Gets finished by Billy Q. Standing TKO loss, So he moves up to 155. And he looks really good striking against Jim Miller. And... Good. You're talking about opposite stances. Orthodox versus Southpaw. And you can make the connection here. Because Bill Algio will switch his stances a little bit. I think the UFC might have him actually build as an Orthodox fighter. But I switch it to switch stance. Because he will switch it up. But when you look at this one, Matt Hernandez. He kind of fights in that, I'm a wrestle boxer. We don't see him wrestle as much. But I'm a wrestle boxer. And when you look at a guy like Bill Algio, And even in his last fight. It was a wild two round fight of the night against TJ Brown. Bill Algio looked like a ballistics dummy from your favorite show when you were in middle school
1: and now the deadliest warrior
0: (laughs) yeah jeff canadian jeff that guy got too excited that show was so good though yeah listen i mean spike probably said take a couple of rhino dick pills and just just (laughs) shout at the top of your lungs three Three, two (laughs) one Acting like they were really going to war, but they're really just cutting pigs with axes. Yeah, where did they find those extras too? Oh, I'm gonna show them how I can have my knife skills. My Bowie knife. Look at me. But
1: imagine dedicating twenty
0: years of your life to learning like Middle Eastern fucking sword techniques. It's just a weird thing to dedicate yourself to. Well, we gotta reel this back in because where I'm pulling this for Bill Algio, he looked like that against T.J. Brown. Bill Algio fought. In a Bobby Green esque manner, but he was always there to take the facture, as we'd say in French, Matt. Wow. The receipt was always provided. Hell, he even stuck around for the debit slip because for Algio, he wasn't able to Anderson Silva himself. His hands were really low, and TJ Brown's right connected every single time. In the second round, you saw it where he's able to get on top, Manor Crucifix, Brown goes for the reversal, Algio. One foot, two foot, locked the feet, and he was able to get that submission in brown top. Jason Herzog was there for the smile, if there was a receipt for a smile from TJ Brown, but Bill Algeo was in these fights to where he struggled in the wrestling against Ricardo Hamoche, going back yeah. on the rewatch for Hamoche's fight against Jordana there. The fight against Hernandez and though, he was able to rally. The fight against Herbert Burns, he was able to time out the first round, really rally in the second. That was a performance bonus. Algio, I can tell you all of these different things, and Hernandez, I can point to the the fight of the night where he loses against Donald Cerrone or the performance bonus short notice debut against top rank Benil Dariush. I just don't understand why Hernandez is going back down 145 for this one. It is a big question mark surrounding this whole entire fight because he has looked good at 155,
1: especially as of late. He's not a small guy in the weight class, right? Like when he fights at 155, I know Cowboy is bigger than him frame-wise, but Cowboy fought at 170, so that's to be expected. But for Hernandez, we have seen some of those not only durability uh, issues at 145, but in one fight, but but we've seen those issues at 155 as well. When he gets cracked clean, he can go on baby deer legs. But for Hernandez, he is one of those fighters in a new term that you want us to coin known as the Christos thing theory he's someone who can have so much success that it takes him into exhaustion and then it becomes a much lesser fighter than he normally is because when he does wrestle wrestle sorry that can make him just that much more tired and the best version of Hernandez is the one that almost fights opposite to how you imagine he fights when he's on the outside using his footwork he normally can have a lot of success and he does do a good job with his lateral movement being quite evasive with some of his shots but every now and then he'll get that Cody Garbrandt in him where he sees red and he wants to make it a bit of a brawl and I do think we have a large enough sample size to know that hey Hernandez might not have a terrible chin he doesn't have a great one though either and if he does get into some of those longer exchanges he has been hit and dropped enough to where you do worry and I know Bill Algeo is not the biggest puncher right like if he hits you with a clean shot he can hurt you but if Hernandez does find himself tiring due to the amount of success he might be having earlier on in this matchup he might almost just have so much success he falls off a cliff and like the old school lemming style
0: you know yeah I mean both guys kind of over exceeded expectations in the debut one guy got a Crazy performance of the night. Bonus True. knockout win. The other guy, even in a loss, though, was a fight of the night against a former title challenger in they Ricardo Lamas for Bill Algio. And again, it's a lot more odd angle... But they're more at a straight shot than you do have from a guy like Hernandez. And Hernandez is a, a different type of fighter because sometimes you see him work behind the jab. It's almost like the the professional wrestling type of jab where you're punching the punching the mat to make a sound effect. But if you do look at it for Hernandez, big on the jab, he will whip that right as an overhand out there. And he's able to have a ton of success. You look at the odds in this one. Algio, slight favorite, the older man, the taller man, but not at a giant reach advantage. We have a look at the fan vote over on Topology to see what the fans are thinking. They haven't been out there this week, they haven't been Space Cadets. So I'm going to say over, under 67.5% Bill Algio Under. Well, well it's under. And it's over. 1,059 total votes, 70% Algio, 69% by decision for the 30% that have Hernandez, 65% by decision. I don't think we're gonna go to a decision this one, actually. I think one of these guys is gonna get a finish. Which one? Bill Algio. Uh I have a hard time with this fight, because I think
1: Alexander Hernandez could take him down and have a decent amount of success with this wrestling. The problem is how long can he sustain that kind of a game plan because if he does wrestle for 10 minutes and then has nothing left for those last five then i agree with you bill Algio could easily take over as this fight goes down the stretch and score himself a tko win but on the flip side i do think hernandez is going to be able to do a good enough job of moving his feet to get on the inside and in at least some of the exchanges and if that is the case i think he could land his own power shots and then go for his own takedowns i do have bill Algio in the matchup but i do think hernandez has enough in his game to have success in the
0: matchup being with his wrestling and his physicality now when i really go out on a limb and i say i think Think this guy can finish. I usually get it wrong. And I'm also two and five in picking Bell Algio fights, and I'm picking Bell Algio to win. So heed that warning, and that is a warning out there. Let us know who we have in this matchup. Some big time fights in this card, Matt. The next one on the list, we have Felipe Linz taking on Iwan Kutsalaba. You're not gonna want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name picks. We always say, Let's, Let's get, get into it. it. Late heavyweights looking to hit the top fifteen. We have former PFL heavyweight millionaire, it's Felipe Linz Monstro, taking on former Green Man, it's the Hulk Iwan Kutsalaba, a big time banger in this one because Matt. When you look at it for Felipe Linz, the start of his UFC career, the denouement is what we thought it was. Because he was able to ride that wave with the PFL, win the million bucks. Then he's long-awaited UFC debuts against his teammate Andrei Orlovsky. He picks up some losses on the way in. Abbreviated debut, we're taking on Arlovsky, he loses the decision. Then he takes on Tanner Bowser and he gets finished. And if we're putting the tinfoil hat on, Matt, if we're playing MMA math... Kutsalaba beat Bozer by finish and Bozer beat Linz by finish so automatically Kutsalaba wins this fight but out of all the fight bookings that had gone wrong for Linz all of a sudden he's on this tidy three fight win streak and you look at the names again there's a reason why both these guys are outside of the exactly. top 15 but Marchin Pracnio what does Linz do in not just that fight but his last win I, OSP's in the middle it's a first round knockout win and it's great but the fight against Pracneo. Linz drops the first round, it's on the outside, and then he's able to cut the distance like a knife, like he's Brian Adams in the 80s. Yes, so right. And he's able to go out there and pressure and get the win in that one. His last time out against Max Grecian, long-rangey, army hand-to-hand combat striker, he's able to cut that distance, get a lot of control time behind the black lines, and make it maybe not the most interesting fight, but he's able to slow that timepiece down quite a bit and get the win when you talk about a fighter that's well conditioned for these fights it's felipe linz when you talk about a fighter that's not conditioned for these fights typically it's anyone Kutsalaba. now on his instagram you see him out there he's riding the bike the elliptical type he's out there in the sauna with the six pack but what do we know Kutsalaba for well 17 9 and 1 with an old contest uh if you consider it 6 8 and 1 in the ufc only one bonus a fight of the night against
1: Jared Cannoneer It's Rockin- wild his record is below 500 in the UFC, isn't it? Just because of what his stature is in the overall division, because there's some fighters who kind of outdo their rankings, if you will, right? Like, they're very popular, but they're probably ranked number 15th. You know, Q. DeLaba has fought in main event slots. He has fought a lot of guys in the rankings. So well, main event, that's well, a but stretch. Still, but still, he has been a heavily promoted fighter. I yes. think that's something we can both agree on. So it is a little bit surprising to see where both these guys are in the division, because like you had mentioned, this isn't opportunity to fight a ranked fighter next but for kutalaba he's kind of the one on the outside of the rankings or at least making his way out whereas felipe down at 205 is at least making a bit of a run right now in a division that seems to be completely wide open
0: yeah and this is the weird part about it for kutalaba of those 17 wins 14 of them are in the first round. And he is yeah. the definition of the christos Yago zone. And why do I say that? We can p- point to a lot He's of... He's more Sheikar. We can point to a lot of these Kutsalaba wins and losses as the X-Factor. You look at his fight against Jerry Cannonier, It's a fight of the night. What happens? He wins the first round. He loses the next two. His fight against Glover Teixeira. He wins the first round. Looks really good. Almost beats him. And then in the second round, this is why the Yagos zone is a thing. First round Kutsalaba against Glover Teixeira on the rewatch. He's switching stances. He's moving really well on the outside. He looks like a cardio kickboxer who can grapple at the same time. In the second round, not only is he tired, he's not moving his feet. He's on the retreat. He's not defending strikes. He's a completely different fighter from the first round of the second round. Again, some of these losses, I'm not going to say forgivable, but... Magaman and live, gets finished in both of them. I know the first one, was he actually out? Well, he certainly was in the I second one. I think the one. last three are a little bit more concerning, though, than the, some of the ankle
1: live and the Tashera losses. But,
0: yeah, this is it. I mean, the fight against Ryan Spann, he's going out there, getting the takedown, and then as we're getting up, he's into the submission. The fight against Johnny Walker, he's into the takedown. He's getting reversed, he's getting submitted. The fight against, uh, Kennedy Zechku, he's trying to go out there for the takedown. Things aren't working out his way. Now, again, that was the abbreviated main event where there wasn't even enough time to slip in a poster for it because the main event was thrown out. That was, if I'm not mistaken, Spivak and Derek Lewis. That might have been a different main event. There were a few at the end of last year that were thrown around, so forgive me if I made the mistake. But when you look at it for Kutsalaba, the only fight that I've seen him look the same, sustain a gas tank, and work in takedowns through three rounds was his fight against Devin Clark. And he was able to blitz him in the first round, and Devin Clark was in that realm of, He wasn't able to get it going in the second and third. Even in the split draw against uh, Dustin Jacoby, I thought it was a 10-8 in the first round, 4-1 Kutsalaba, but in the second round and the third round, Jacoby was able to, uh, to use the term loosely again, cardio kickboxes way into a second and third round win. So when it comes down to this one, Matt, unless Kutsalaba starches, Felipe Linz in the first round. Linz should be able to win this fight. He's got good takedown defense. Apart from getting his leg hurt against Kelly and when Linz's forward movements uh dominant, I guess, if that's even a term, Linz is able to throw the kitchen sink at the majority of his opponents, and he's able to outlast the majority as well. And I know even at a recently turned 38, He's been able to beat a lot of these guys outside of the rankings and look good, especially as these fights draw on. So I find this an incredibly interesting fight just outside of the top 15. I agree with everything you said, but I think Yvonne Qtulava wins this fight. I do think we are going to get not the best
1: version of him in terms of, hey, he's going to come back and look like a different fighter, but... Felipe Lins just kind of walk in on a straight line he's not somebody who's going to move his head a lot evade your big shots and then answer with his own it is a lot of that downhill forward movement if he's able to land the jab and set up the right hand he will look phenomenal himself and he does have power but it's just the fact that he is a little bit predictable on the feet with some of his striking I think it allows Iwan Kutalaba to throw that one big Hail Mary shot and get him back into the fight so again I, I think we've thrown up enough red flags for why you probably shouldn't pick Kutalaba
0: but oddly enough I got him in this fight matt got Kutalaba, I have Kutsalaba's well he is favored to win the fight the fans over on topology 63 percent the judges kutsalaba, probably won't be needed eh 80 by knockout for the 37 that have Linz. 56 percent by knockout so the fans anticipating a knockout both of us going with moldova's own iwan kutsalaba to get the win in the matchup let us know who you have down below in the comments section matt some big time fights on this card including a weird one between ricky Now Rick Glenn taking on Drew Dober. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Name Picks, we always say. Let's Let's get get into it. it. Southpaw versus Southpaw. Coming up this weekend at Lightweight, we have a get-right fight between... It's now Rick, the gladiator. Glenn, it was Rick, then it was Ricky, now it's Rick. He's taking on Drew Dober. And I say a weird bit of matchmaking for this fight because... Back in 2022, Drew Dober was in the running for male fighter of the year. He had three wins, three of them by finish. He starts off the year to take on Matt Frivola as more than a two-to-one favorite. And in that one, Frivola shuts his lights out in the first round. Now, Dober protested the stoppage a little bit, but it was definitely a finish win for Frivola, who is going to be taking on Benoit Saint-Denis at UFC 295. And when you look at it for Ricky Glenn, looking for his first win in a couple of years, his last one was against Joaquim Silva, Hit him with that hook in tight. really good now. Dropped way. him, finished him. But since then, Glenn went out there against Grant Dawson. It was a draw. And his last time out, guy got caught in the Yago zone. First round finish win for Christos Iago. So for Glenn... It is a little bit of a weird one. Again, you look at that record, it's 22 with 7-2. He's a World Series of Fighting champ. He was all that and a bag of chips at 145 pounds. We'll see what the fortunes bring past 34 at 155. And for Drew Dober, longer in the tooth, longer UFC run as well. Dober in the UFC, 12-1 and 1 with an old contest since the 2013 UFC debut he was also on the Ultimate Fighter Season 15. Lost to Darren Cruikshank. But for Drew Dober, again, both these guys are Southpaws. Ricky Glenn, a little bit more well-rounded from what we saw at 145, from the long run up to World Series. More apt to wrestle. I know the stats might not paint you this picture, but you got to go outside of the UFC to really paint the entire Picasso, if I can even try and do that. It's more finger painting than it is anything. But when you're looking at this one, Matt, Drew Dober, it, it, it's got to be said. Not often do you see a guy off a first round knockout loss, almost a 5-1 to one favorite. Topology doesn't always tell the full story, but they have it as the number 15th ranked lightweight in their own rankings worldwide as Dober, taking on the 63 ranked lightweight in Rick Glenn, looking for a first win in a few years. That's why,
1: to me, the odds do make sense if you do tell the whole entire story behind it, because Drew Dober had the same conversation throughout his career that Vicente Luque did before he fought Jeff Neal, and It was, hey, well, I know they've been in crazy fights, they've been dropped, but they've never been knocked out. That was a really big, selling point for both of those fighters and for Luque we saw him come back as RDA and put in a pretty complete performance maybe not the most exciting fight he's ever been involved in in his career but still he looked really good his next time out and for Drew Dober he's gonna face a lot of those same question marks because that was a big part of the conversation it was kind of wild Drew Dober before he started knocking people out and you do have to go back a little ways he was a bit of a decision fighter he had great boxing he had a good complete game but he was sound defensively he didn't really sit down on his shots and he played a little bit more of a pitter-patter game and then he did discover that newfound power bump and just started starching fools out of uh, Dober. And no, no always you always had you, better... No. What? Dober, Dober's got big
0: power. Dober against primary strikers would go out there tit for tat and not sit down on his shots. But when Dober would fight wrestlers, yeah, there were some guys that were able to grapple him into submission. I think of that OEM fight where Dober's able to land that counter, he drops OEM, and then at the ground it got finished. But well, Dober against strikers... Didn't really bite down on his shots until, yeah, this recent, like, I'd exactly. say 2020 run-on.
1: Yeah, it, it has been quite recently. But it is wild to see Dober is up there for a lot of the stats for, like, most knockdowns, most knockouts in lightweight history. But the reason I do say that the odds, at least to me, are justified is if Dober can at least avoid the big shot. And I didn't think Matt Pervola was going to be the guy to knock him out, to be completely honest. But what I will say is nobody was surprised that drew dober did get knocked out right like the signs were there throughout his career he was getting dropped and hurt in fights before that he just never completely got knocked out that's all so for dober i do think that we had seen some of the warning signs before he finally got knocked out but ricky glenn doesn't really fight in that matt frivola style of i'm gonna either wrestle you or really sit down on my power shots he is gonna play much more of the volume game even though he does have good power himself
0: if i'm finger painting a picasso then you read the coloring book with your analysis for this fight because for drew Drew Dover, the knockdown ratio, as you alluded to, was eight and one going into the fight against Matthew Pretty not getting knocked down, not getting starched in these fights. He was getting hurt and getting hit with big shots. It was eight and one. And and when I look at it for Drew Dober, the thing that you worry about is you look at Rick Glenn in this fight, he has a half-inch reach advantage, he has a pretty big height advantage. What does Dober do? Plods his way in, throws hooks to close the distance, lands big shots. I think Drew Dober wins this fight because of that. But when you look at it for Rick Glenn, you think of the short shot against Joaquin Silva. You think of the short shots against a smaller fighter who fights in a similar manner in Gavin Tucker at 145. A Canadian fight for a Canadian fighter. And Ricky Glenn was on a giant winning end in that one. And Glenn in the UFC 4-4-1. Four, four it's not all that sexy but you even look at the draw that he had against Grant Dawson. Great resolve at the end of that fight. The only thing that I don't love for for Ricky Glenn, or Rick Glenn rather, is that Team Alpha Male moved back to Iowa and fighting out of those Iowa, Wisconsin adjacent gyms and for Ricardo Hamos, we saw that against Charles Jordan. For Ricklin, we haven't really seen that same productivity that he was able to have out of Team Alpha Male that he's had back home again. So, when I do look at this fight, Matt, I do like Drew Dover with the fact that he's able to close the distance that way. We did see him get marked up and struggle against Bobby Green until okay. he was able to land that big lunging, I guess it was a left hook, against Green, up against the cage, drop him, finish him, and that was all she wrote. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise to us there are already you. I'm not going to leave it at surprise wow 1134 total votes 97% dober 84% by knockout when you say you're not surprised and this is why i make the coloring book joke that you know dober was knocked out by matt frivola 87% had dober to beat Frivola, and dober was a two-to-one favorite in that fight so that was just my pushback there no again, no again i thought dober was going to win but he had been rocked he had been dropped
1: he had been in difficult fights up until that point with the way matt Frivola was knocking everybody out up until then like the only guy cred- the mouth. only guy credited okay, with a knockdown cred- credit
0: terrence in- mckinney every single
1: week we both sit here and say hey ufc stats have him for one knockdown but i count it 4 don't
0: worry i'll flip-flop on that coming up
1: I know you will because that's what you do. You just try to argue against my point. But for Drew Dober, he had been in enough difficult fights up until that point to where at least I wasn't all that surprised that he did finally get stopped. The difference is, Ricky Glenn isn't somebody who really sits down on his power shots. It normally is a big accumulation of, uh, just single shots and volume and combinations to finally chip away at his opponent. And for Drew Dober, he might have big power shots, but he does have good longevity to go along with it. He's not somebody who just throws those big hooks and has nothing left afterwards, almost like a Mike Perry earlier on in his career so i do have drew dober i think he's the more complete fighter but if there's a chance that his durability is completely gone maybe we do see ricky glenn or sorry rick glenn
0: lin a big hook hurt dober and then just finish him with good volume afterwards both of us going with drew dober to get the win in the matchup some big time fights in this card matt the next one alex morono's taking on joaquin buckley you're not going to want to miss it keep it locked in with fighting a picks we always say let's, let's get, get into it, it. Clash of Styles coming up at welterweight. An absolute banger. It's overused. But Newmans is taking on the great white Alex Morono. Matt, Alex Morono's last time out, a submission win over a resurgent, old Tim Means. I mean, he got beat in the first round. He's like Mark Henry. I got an awful lot left in the tank. Got hit to the body, did Alex Morono in that first round. Ultimately losing it. He's on his way to losing the second round. And all of a sudden... When it gets in tight, he's able to pull guillotine, Impressive. regrip, and he ends up getting that submission win. And Morono is one of those really interesting fighters. He's been in the UFC since Jesus was a cowboy, as a lot of older folks like to say in rural parts of this country. But when you do look at this one, they usually say when Christ was a cowboy. They, they usually say when Christ was a cowboy, but I went and dropped the J. So when you look at this matchup, though, Joaquin Buckley, I mean, what works well for him? Well, man. I'm glad that you asked. Big hooks. He closed the distance with those big head kicks. We think of the Dekirco fight. Very powerful fight. And so on and so forth. But I went back and did a little bit of calculation for this one, Matt. I I went and got myself a business degree and I thought, let's dust it off and add stuff up on the internet. Joaquin Buckley. Matt Joaquin Buckley. 356 significant strikes he's been able to land in his time in the UFC. Look at that. He's six and four in the UFC. So that's a lot of significant strikes. 34% 34% of them, a.k.a. 122, have been body shots. It's an unheralded portion of Joaquin Buckley's game. You think back to his fight against Chris Curtis, he landed a great effect. Even his fight against Kevin Holland where he could drop twice and he lost that fight. It was he a lot of body, body shots. Shoulders. Joaquin Buckley, being a tricky sidewinding southpaw, lands a lot to the body. The other thing that Joaquin Buckley does that you might not like, and it lends itself to a 6-4 and four UFC record. Yes, there's highlights. Yes, there's nah, nah, nah. But when you look at it for Buckley, he whiffs on a lot of power shots. That's not good for your energy systems. Typically, a well-conditioned person's not going to do that. But again, six and four, so it's not that not all that bad. The knockdown ratio seven to four, seven four to four against for walking Buckley in the UFC. But again, twenty two percent significant strike accuracy and i don't bring these numbers up every single weekend for as many fights as i have this week but i think it does paint a picture for a guy like buckley it's an aim big miss big approach it is and he's got a lot of michael chandler to his game he definitely does now i think that might work against a guy like alex morono but it could lead to his
1: downfall too because morono showed that part of his submission repertoire his last time out against tim Meese,
0: because normally when you thought about morono you thought about his volume striking his ability to throw in combination I mean, I think of Alex Morono every single time I break down Don't his worry. fights. He's like Anthony Pettis, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, exactly. Taekwondo Black Belt. I marry those two together. As Shrek famously said,
1: ogres are like onions. We got layers. And Alex Morono has layers to his game. But again, you do often forget about some parts of his game because he is so well-rounded and he has such a complete MMA skill set. But the thing is, when you're so complete, it doesn't mean that you excel at necessarily everything, right? And for Morono, against heavy hitters, they can close the distance and land power because a lot of what Morano does well on the feet comes down to his ability to throw with tremendous volume. His own accuracy, I'd say it's pretty good. It's not crazy by any means, but when he's able to go downhill and mix in his own body shots with his own combinations to the head, Morano can have a lot of success, but he is willing to stand in the pocket for the extra second, half second too long, and that's when his opponents can start to lane counter shots, even in fights when he wins. Like, remember the Reese McKee fight? That was a wild matchup, and yes, Morano won the fight, but he was getting tagged by some big counter shots from McKee because he was willing to stand. In the pocket for a little bit too long, and I agree with you and how you open. I think this could be an absolutely incredible fight. It should be a really fan-friendly matchup. But if Morono does fight this fight with a style of, "Hey, I'm gonna go out there, try to roll downhill with my combinations and have success and make Joaquin Buckley uncomfortable," because all those highlights that we see from Joaquin Buckley, they're not only when he's mixing his strikes to the body and the head, it's when he's moving forward because he does do a really good job of moving his feet from the long range to close range. He will throw kicks, but normally he's really kind of planting his feet on the outside, setting those kicks up. But when he rushes from point A to point B, there's not a lot you can do to really halt that forward momentum if you're not a high-level striker like Kevin Holland was, because those counter shots down the middle were beautiful, or a really high-level wrestler who can test some of his takedown defense and avoid him from just moving forward. But for Morono, I just don't know if he excels in any one area enough to really test those parts of Buckley's game, because I think Buckley's going to be the bigger guy at Walter too, especially in this matchup.
0: I mean, if you do consider it for a guy like Alex Morono, we reference a book here in studio quite often, it's the boxing list by. Bert Sugar and Teddy Atlas it's in the corner sometimes usually behind us but Teddy Atlas is always saying don't be there for the receipt and Alex Morona is one of those fighters that moves well in every direction in every direction he can strike well off the back foot side to side and moving forward but sometimes he'll just hold he on for that there. second yeah. too long and he does get hit so when you look at this matchup Matt once we get to the top of this card the odds start to sway a little bit Buckley is a pretty big favorite in the fight we have a look at the top college vote. surprise to us there to you Buckley's 3-2 and, and his 5-on-in. Alex Marone was 4-1. I'm going to say over-under 72.5% Buckley. In I think game. it's going to be over. I do think he'll be heavily oh, favored. Oh, and it's now. under. 1,055 total votes. 69% Buckley. 81% by knockout. For the 31% that of Morono. 72% by decision. And Joaquin Buckley is no slouch when it comes to the wrestling. But Alex Morono, once it does get down to the mat, he can get tricky. You think of the fight even against Matt Semmelsberger, Third round. Yeah. Flying knee, lands against Morono, or down to the mat, and then all of a sudden, Morono's able to flip the switch. So, for, sure. for me, I do like Buckley with the blitzes in this one, but aim big, miss big against a, a death by a thousand paper cuts type of fighter in the Great White. It could be a recipe of success for the underdog in this one. Oh, I can't disagree with that whatsoever, and again,
1: Morona, when you have a guy who is so well-rounded, who has a good gas tank, who can throw a high level of volume, you can never really count him out in the underdog spot, but the issue is, we have seen him get tagged by big punches in the past, and Joaquin Buckley is one of those big punchers, again... I mean, he was one of those weird fighters, so I know he lost in a pretty bad fashion to Kevin Holland in his debut. But for some reason, I thought, hey, this guy could be pretty good. He moves really well on the feet. I like his ability to close the distance. And I think that ability to close the distance is going to be the big X factor in this fight. And that's why I also have Buckley.
0: Both of us going with new man, so Buckley to get the win in the fight. Do you have the great white Morono? Do you have Buckley? Let us know down below in the comments section. It is time for the co-main event of the evening. Abdul Razak al-Hassan looking to put that judo thunder to work. He's gonna be taking on B Joe Piper. You're not gonna to wanna to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight A Picks, we always say. Let's get into it. And just like that, middleweight set the table up near the top of the card. The co-main event of the evening. It's B Joe Piper. AKA Body Bags. He's going to be taking on Abdul Razak Al Hassan, originally out of Ghana. And for Al Hassan, Matt, he broke the trend. He was 11 and 5 with 11 first round knockout wins. And by golly, by gosh, by Jeepers. His last time out, second round yeah. knockout victory, a first for the now 38 year old fighter. He was able to get it done in the second round against Claudio Hebero. And Al Hassan's one of those really interesting fighters. If it goes past the first round, we're talking about. The Yago uh, zone. But he was able to do the unthinkable. And once he was able to figure out the movement, the odd angle punches for the boxer being Hebero and some of those big head kicks, he was able to close the distance and shut the lights out. And Al an interesting guy also because you always see it if you peruse the web pages, if you watch his fights in the regional scene, you see Judo Thunder thrown out there as a tagline. He was a Judo black belt really early on in life. You see him sometimes on his Instagram in the G... Gi- working that judo, but I love the nickname. Personally. You don't see it in the UFC as the nickname and you don't see him utilize that in his fights. And sometimes you do, but not often do you. And we've seen him struggle in the takedowns. We think back to that Jacob Malcun fight. Couldn't get for, out from under. Couldn't absorb illegal elbows. Like Malcun was able to dish out against Cody Brundage. Too. But for Abdul Razak Al Alhasan, it's a lot of moving forward, plotting forward, cutting distance with his hooks. And once he gets you back behind the black line, we're going red line revs. So for Al-Hassan, now he gets to take on the taller, the rangier Joe Pfeiffer, which is nothing new for Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, the former Walter Waite. And for Joe Pfeiffer, again, you think back to his last loss. We're trying to post up. We're dislocating the arm. We're taking on a tough fighter in Dustin Steusfuss. But since then, win, wins over Austin, Austin Trotman, Ozzy Diaz, Alan Amadovsky, and Gerald Mearshart. And then to add insult to injury, to put salt in that wound... Out was his originally scheduled opponent for grappling at Fury Pro. And in is friggin' Gerald Mearshart. It wasn't a great matchup, but Pfeiffer won by decision. So, back-to-back wins over Gerald Mearshart. Pfeiffer's into this fight, Matt. And now, when you look at a fight like this, I think body attacks for Joe Pfeiffer. The in-close shots for a longer ranger a guy opposite. are pretty good for Joe Pfeiffer. You saw that against Ozzy Diaz on yeah. Contender Series. But I know you were high on Pfeiffer and... And listen, I mean, the cat out of the bag, we both enjoy an Abdul Razak al-Hassan fight as well. So I think this is going to be a lot of fun while it lasts. And it makes your Louis Smolka effect. Like, there's a lot of these effects, but you pucker your butthole a little bit when you have a couple of knockout artists like these.
1: I'm happy the UFC gave Joe Pfeiffer a fighter like Abdul Razak Al-Hassan because when you beat somebody like Gerald Mearshert, you would assume you get that big step up in competition, right? Just a well-known name. He's been able to turn away a lot of high-level prospects in the past. So for Pfeiffer, it was one of those matchups where you kind of worry, hey, is a win here almost the worst thing moving forward for him? Because they are going to throw him in there with a bunch of really high-level fighters, and you can never really take a step back from that. And Again, not saying Abdul Razak Alhassan's an easier fight by any means, but I don't necessarily look at him as a big step up from Gerald Mearshaar. Like, they're v- very different fighters stylistically, I would say. But where they where they are in the division, they're both outside the top 15 but can offer difficult fights to anybody. I think Gerald Mearshaar is probably going to offer you a more difficult fight, especially if it goes past the first round. But for Alhassan, can he make Joe Pfeiffer pay at the long distance? Because a lot of Pfeiffer's good work does come from his boxing combinations up close when he is able to incorporate the body shots. For Hassan, he does get a little bit wild with some of his strikes on the outside, but I think it's going to give him the best opportunity to win the fight because if it does get up close, it's not going to allow him to throw the kicks with nearly as much range as we've seen in some of his fights and that head kick's probably his best weapon. If not, top three, I would say. It really does allow him to extend his own range and it's wild too. Like, this is a guy who fought at 170, fighting at 185, and he's not a small guy. Like, he's muscled up. He's not tall for the division by any means, but he's a pretty big guy at 185 and I do think he's going to be able to strike at least power-wise with Joe Pfeiffer from that long distance. It's just up close. I think it's going to negate a lot of the better tools he does have at his disposal. Whereas Joe Pfeiffer is going to be able to maybe even threaten with the takedown and then start to use a lot of those body shots. And I'm glad you bring them up because I do think they're going to be a big key to the matchup. If he can make Hassan tired, even earlier in the first round than what we've seen in the past, it's just going to help him win that much easier. I
0: worry with Joe Pfeiffer again for Hassan tricky with a sidewinding either body kick or head kick. Orthodox. And when you look at a guy like Joe Pfeiffer too, where's the hand placement going to be Where's defense is going to be because al Hassan's one of those guys if he hits you quick to the body and you take some time to bring those hands down then he just comes up top with big hooks and that's all she wrote and when you look at it for al Hassan, even in the losses he only has five he only has 17 pro fights and we know the reasons behind the long layoff that he did uh, succumb to but the loss to chaos williams i mean the loss to jacob alcoon but even going back to the munir lezez fight for al Hassan blitzes you think he's going to win the first round, it's going to be over. And then he kind of expended the gas yeah. tank in the first and couldn't do much of anything in the second and the third. But Al Hassan, a little bit resurgent at 4 7MA for the longest time at Elevation Fight Team. And we finally saw him break through and get that second round finish last time out against a big long rangy striker with power. And Claudio Hiberos. So the big favorite is Joe Pfeiffer as I mentioned on this main card, a lot of big favorites. And on our last card, the Faziv Gamrot fight, there were a lot of big favorites that didn't actually make it through and get the win. We have a look at the topology votes, Matt. Surprise to us there, to you. This is probably going to be, and if you don't know now, you know. Type of fight, probably probably going to be one of those fights. And if the mic didn't catch that, if you don't know now, you know. They can throw it as many as they want, but uh, yeah. But just know Mohamed Usman's probably going to be involved in at least one of them. Frigate Friday, and if you don't know, now you know. Catchy stuff bad. I'm going to say over-under, 87.5% Piper Over. And it is over. 1,131 total votes, 92% Pfeiffer, 81% by decision. For the 8% that I have Hassan. 80% by knockout. So, sorry. 81% by knockout piper, 80% knockout by, or for Hassan. I have Joe Pfeiffer in the matchup. Knockout or submission, I I, I think. I, yeah, I think I'll win by stoppage. It should be a fun
1: fight for as long as it lasts because both guys do have tremendous power. I just think Joe Piper's a little bit cleaner with this technique up close, and I think that's where this fight's primarily going to be contested. Watch
0: out for the kicks of Al Haas yeah. to make a big difference, and if he's going to go out there, body kick to a hook, and if you look at it for Piper to evade those and land with the counter shots. Matt, a big-time matchup in this loaded, all-of-a-sudden, middleweight division. Both of us going with Joe Piper to get the win, and that brings us to the lightweight main event. We have Bobby Green looking to jump back into the top 15. He's going to be taking on Grant Dawson. You're not going to want to miss. Keep locked in with Fight A Picks we always say. Let's, Let's get, get in. into it. It's time for the main event of the evening. Lightweight's on the marquee. We have Grant Dawson in his first 5-round fight as a professional fighter. He's going to be taking on King Bobby Green and Matt I mean I started off the show I'm wearing in memory a Tim Wakefield shirt He was my favorite pitcher for the Red Sox he sadly passed away this weekend from brain cancer and there's an old quotable from a Pittsburgh Pirates player named Richie Hebner and he said trying to hit a knuckleball was kind of like trying to eat soup with a fork and when you watch Bobby Green fight To make the connection those odd angle punches and those really low arms he makes it look right such an unorthodox look at lightweight and for a guy like grant dawson when you consider a matchup like this dawson's fought strikers in the past you think of the the issues that he had in the third round against the guy who's on this card there's so many spider-man memes that we could have from green fighting drew dober in the past from grant dawson fighting a guy like rick glenn Dawson wasn't able to get out of those bad positions. He was willing to accept the back, and he was willing to accept a little bit of damage. But you look at a guy like Dawson in his last matchup, taking on a guy like Demir's Magulov, and everybody thought that Magulov was going to win that fight. Matt, 12 minutes and 24 seconds of control time later, 3.30, 27s, Dawson's beating Magulov. He wants to fight ranked fighters next. Dawson gets that number 10 ranking, and all of a sudden, hey, Good performance. Fight guys outside of the rankings now. So he gets an opportunity to take on a name that fight fans know and ultimately love in King Bobby Green. Now, the record might be salty at 30-14 and 1 with a no contest. But for Bobby Green, his last time out, he beat the former interim champ Tony Ferguson. And listen, this is where I know what you guys are thinking. All right, so at 2 minutes and 31 seconds off a straight right. Tony Ferguson knocks down Bobby Green. It's an uncredited knockdown, but Bobby Green got knocked down. Thanks to Betsy, I didn't know those existed. I told you it was coming back. 20 seconds later, Bobby Green posts out, and that finger is on the eye. Oh, yeah. And Tony Ferguson had to blink it out. And as the the first round wore on, Bobby Green found himself into the fight. He was Mm -hmm. able to land more shots. Second round, and then into the third round. They're in tight. The fight goes down to the mat. How does it get down there? Tony goes Grammy roll like he used to. But it was almost uh, at, at half speed. Bobby Green ends up on top and the guard, Tony's got a good guard. It's like Dave Parker playing for the Angels. But then Bobby Green was able to go out there and get the head and arm choke. Now, Joe Rogan on the call. Very surprised Bobby Green had a submission win. That was Bobby Green's ninth submission win. But it's obviously not the biggest part of his game. And we remember Bobby Green fights for the two, Canum two, fight of the nights against Lando Fanata. We remember him for maybe a knockout loss to Dustin Poirier. Green's loss to the very good fighters. He got a by Edson. That was he fun. did. But he's beaten the the good fighters and the outside of the top 15 fighters as well. So for Green, it's going to be an interesting matchup because stylistically and traditionally, 74% takedown defense in the UFC. And if Bobby Green can shuck those underhooks and if he can get you to play on the outside... Even though Grant Dawson looked good against his Gulab, even though Grant Dawson looked good against Leo Santos, my guy, his striking's come a long way since he's moved from middle America to American top team down in Florida. Grant Dawson is not to the level of a striker like Bobby Green. So it's going to be imperative, obviously, you know this, for Bobby uh, to defend takedowns, for Grant to be able to go out there and get them early and often. But if we end up in a situation notwithstanding an injury like last weekend to where Bobby Green does the fazeeve on the outside and Gamrock can't get the takedowns, a teammate of Grant Dawson, then it could be a, a strange brew for Grant Dawson in the matchup.
1: It could be, but the only thing where I'm gonna zag a little bit is, even if he does go one for seven, two for thirteen let's say, the two takedowns he gets might be worth seven and a half minutes of top control And I do think that's gonna be able to outweigh some of the work Bobby Green's able to do on the feet Because I do agree with you Stylistically, Green has everything in his pocket to go out there and get the win He strikes very well from long distance He does a great job of digging for underhooks He's an active fighter off his back too Not in terms of submissions, but he does work really hard to get back up to his feet And all those things are important to try to tire Grant Dawson out So he can't shoot for that really high volume of takedowns But Dawson is a very heavy fighter in that top position Can do good grand and pound and he's always looking for his own submissions and if Green does get a little bit irresponsible trying to get back up to his feet trying to wiggle around I could see Dawson just continuously advancing in positions getting more and more favorable and then starting to maybe even get a finish via submission because for Green I, I do think he's going to be able to withstand 25 minutes and here is the question that I kind of posed for you who do you think has the bigger advantage by this being five rounds because I do see a world where both guys can get the advantage if Dawson can get early takedowns or really tire Green out trying to get back up to his feet that Dawson should be able to just have more and more success as this fight continues but on the flip side if Green can force out some really uh, just poor takedown attempts for Grant Dawson at long range maybe on the flip side Dawson gets tired just doesn't look like himself in the fourth and fifth
0: who's sort of sharper in their own discipline I mean for Dawson you talk about the wrestling it got him to the top of the heap outside of the OC. he wins on contender series he makes his way up the chain and you look at his Instagram the guys that he's training with I'll throw a picture up there one of Matt's favorite fighters how many do I have one of my favorite You've fighters said this that, that couldn't get it going in the UFC and it pains me because I like the guy. Harry Bush. Dakota Bush. That's a guy that you're going to work your wrestling with and you're going to try and work your cardio for five rounds. Grant Dawson also training for this one with Tiago Moises. So... The game plan, good in too. all of his pictures, and it kind of gives it away, is to work the takedowns, get it down to the mat. When I look at Dawson struggling to get takedowns, I think all the way back to that Nad and Erimonte fight, where you're getting in tight. What a, what was Grant Dawson's hallmark uh, before the UFC and on the early rise to the UFC when he fought out of, again, Kansas City area? Get in tight, try and clinch, get the single leg, go high crotch single leg, get the takedown. Like Jordan Levitt does, and like Claudio Poyez do in the lightweight division. That's what Grant Austin used to do. He switched it up a little bit against his Magulov. He was more dynamic and he was very, very smothering with his game plan against a tricky fighter in Demira's Magulov, if I can say that. With Bobby Green, I mean I think the striking is a lot better than Grant Austin. Oh yeah, for sure. Worlds apart. I think I think Green's You know, sword being sharp, I think it's sharper with a strike and Grant Dawson's is with his takedowns. The thing that I worry about in this one though, Bobby Green, abbreviated, nine days he gets a main event call against Islam Makachev who becomes a champ. Green gets taken down quick and he ultimately gets submitted in the first round against Makachev. Listen, water off a duck's back. It's almost like it didn't even happen. You could blindfold him, spin me around 10 times and maybe I forget it even happened. It just eliminated from my brain that way. But for Grant Dawson. I will always have the lasting images from his fourth to last fight when he took on Rick Glenn. And in that third round, it it was over. It was over. He couldn't get out of his bottom position. He was too content with being on his back. And he got hit by a lot of unanswered shots from Glenn. Now, I know it's a draw. It's a 10 8 third round majority of it. But for Dawson, I mean, he can struggle in some of these ranges. And we saw an improved gas tank his last time out when he took on his Magulov. But it was only over three rounds. I i'm not trying to understand an Ismagulov. i thought Ismagulov was going to end up in the top five at a point i honestly did that proved to me a lot out of dawson's last performance but bobby green again good takedown defense he's working his jiu-jitsu down in southern california for this one i'll throw a picture up there for that one where i blurred out his two middle fingers to the camera we're listening we try and keep it pg but i swore earlier on in the show i'll admit it i'll admit it so when we look at this one matt Grant Austin, another one of these big favorites on the main card. He's a much younger party of these two. We have a look at the topology votes. Oh wait, it's main event. We have to throw it out there too. The YouTube community tab. You guys voted. I'm gonna update the numbers. But by and large, you folks with 1,100 votes today, Shout 78% out. with Grant Dawson. A little bit of a skirmish down there in the comments section between First Last and Fight Hive. First Last did not like the Bobby Green eye poke early on in that first round. won 135 pound champ is a fan of Tony McCart. poked RDA in the eye? I'm I do. Uh, Gabriel Lopez saying, Grant Dawson gets him to the mat early and often, in my opinion, showcase fight for him. And Chandler Witt, who's always out there every single week in the comments, saying Bobby Green struggled in moments against... This version of Tony Ferguson, Bobby Green has one knockout since 2013. It was when Ally Quinta gave up. He has no path to victory, not to mention the eight year age gap. He caught Ally Quinta coming in with that shot all reaches down for the takedown and then he just lands those ground and pounded blows and that was the end of it so Matt I'm eager to get your take on who you have in this matchup because this is the most of styles fight on this card oh without a doubt if Bobby Green wins it's just because of his striking he's not
1: going to get a submission off his back I doubt he submits Grant Dawson I know he does have the ability in his game don't get me wrong I'm not trying to be Joe Rogan and say he doesn't have it but I just think Grant Dawson from that top position has a little bit more to offer than Tony Ferguson at this stage of his career shout out Tony a much better fighter over overall but again you're not in your prime for your whole entire career unless you're Barry Bonds but he had a little bit of help at the end. My point is, and I brought it up earlier, even if Grant Dawson is on the receiving end of some of those shots at long distance from Bobby Green, I do think one well-timed takedown with a lot of top control is going to be able to outweigh some of the success Green uh, is able to do on the feed. I worry a little bit about the fourth and fifth round, but I've kind of argued both ways for it, and I've gone back and forth in my own head. I think if Dawson's able to get a lot of early takedowns, I do think Green's going to be really tired in those last rounds and not be as dynamic on the feed to make him much more available for the takedown attempts of Dawson. So for those reasons, I have Grant Dawson. But I wouldn't be surprised. Bobby Green is one of those weird fighters who's had like six primes, right? Like every single time you count him out, he just comes back and goes on a bit of a run. He's always had that ability to because Bobby Green's been counted out. It seems like every two years, he suffers a couple losses. And it's like, oh, that's kind of it for Bobby Green. And then he goes on, like I said, a bit of a run. So I wouldn't be surprised if Green got the win. But I do have Grant Dawson. Green's
0: loss is Dober, where he's beating him in the first round, beating him in the second round, Not gets it. hit by that big shot, and he's out. Islam Makachev. he also has lost the. Physician. Ziv Moisès Trinaldo Jakariklos Rashid Magomedov, who couldn't get the takedowns in that one. Right. I know it's a split decision, but yeah, Rashid couldn't get the takedowns. Uh, Poirier and Edson Barboza, top flight competition. Bobby Green, way back when, beating one half of a podcast with Big John McCarthy. I'm talking Josh Thompson. Do you think so- Bobby Green's going to have a Tim Duncan 2014 performance? No, I don't. I, oh. I, I, do. I I'm going to go with Grant Dawson, honestly. I, like for everybody that's watching out there. We're getting close to the end of the year. I think we're separated by one pick right now. I kind of wanted to go over the top rope and take Bobby Green, but I do have Grant Dawson. I don't like the Cardio. It's always going to give me question marks. Yeah, but sure. the takedowns that he was able to get against Izmogulov really did surprise me. And for Bobby Green, his takedown defense is great. I referenced that Magomedov fight for a reason. Having gone back and watched that one today. But for me, I do think Grant Dawson can get it done. So we are in agreement there. But we do have a lot of big-time fights. There's 12 on this card. We're, we've been treated to some of these apex cards that have been a little bit less than. But when you look at this... And you try and paint it through a lens. There's no rookies. There's one sophomore showing. And that's Mateus Mendonca. So that's an exciting fight that he has upcoming against Nate Maness at a new weight class 125. A lot of people that you know and love with only three ranked fighters on the card. And you know here with Fight Night Picks, we get you covered. So if anything changes, X at Fight Night Picks. Instagram, same handle as well. You can find us here on... YouTube, if there's anything that changes, we will update those videos. So make sure you toss a like on your way out. And if you're not subscribed, because there are a fair amount of you that aren't, toss that up there as we move forward matt what's your favorite fight on this card before we leave the people packing
1: i like bill algeo versus alexander hernandez oddly enough i just think it's a fight where both guys have fought some pretty big names right so you wonder about how many more opportunities they're going to have as some of those bigger names in the division because if they lose then they themselves are just going to be that big name kind of coming down in the division and they're probably gonna have to fight a really high level prospect next so for me i think that's an oddly fun
0: fight at 145. i think montel jackson goes out there and just flexes that giant reach and he just goes out there and makes it a fun one against chris gutierrez i think that's an awesome fight just buried on the prelims. so if you haven't checked out those videos make sure you do you're going to want to keep it locked in with fighting apex as we always say let's get into it